Hey, y'all, if you're enjoying this podcast, take two seconds, send it to five friends. Um, some of the top episodes would be the self-confidence, masculinity, and the Byron Rogers podcast if you want to send uh, some of the top ones to them. Otherwise, just take 30 seconds and review it on whatever podcast uh, application you use, whether it be Spotify, YouTube, Google, iTunes, Amazon, any of them. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right, everybody, we are back with another episode of Squared Away. Martin is not able to be here with us today. He's got a prior engagement doing a little little football coaching, but I am here with is Rich Kirkpatrick, correct? That's right. All right. Rich is the author of Mind Blown. And um, I loved this book when I got into it because I always thought of creativity as this like magical thing that you were born with or not born with. And I feel like myself, I'm not a creative person. And then I got into this book and, and I want to get deep into like the science of this creativity and, and your, your method. But first I want to, uh, I want everybody to understand your background, but I love that creativity does not look the same in everyone. And a lot of what I have done in my whole life is considered creativity, but why don't you kind of give us your background and, and where you came from and how, how you got into this? Well, I spent most of my life as a musician. I went to a little music school and uh, trade school for musicians. 
and ended up somehow, you know, I was a music copyist, which meant that I literally hand wrote out with pen and ink um, music notes uh, for an orchestra uh, at a church. And somehow they said, Rich, uh, how much you make delivering pizzas? And I was nothing, right? And they said, well, we'll match that because it's nothing, of course. And over the years, so I've been a musician, uh, also a jazz musician, and, um, you know, raised a family doing that, um, worked in organizations, which caused me to go into management, you know, where I had like, you know, dozen people to manage. Like, how did, how did this happen to this creative person? Um, and I was in kind of a real restrictive environment for a creative person. So I was always asking questions and getting in trouble. Always had a good heart, I thought. You know, at least I'm not as... I'm not the worst person on the table, but I'm always asking a question. And so over the years, just because of my vocation and the settings that I was in um, and having to actually lead people, I always ask, well, you know, I don't think um, a lot of people are able to sit at the table because they're not understood. And then the people who are like me, who are kind of this weird creative group of people, don't know how to articulate kind of what they're thinking very well. So as time progressed, I, uh, I wrote a book for church musicians called The Six Hats of the Worship Leader. And in that book, I basically coached um, these worship leaders. And they would always ask, hey, Rich, um, let's talk about creativity because I'm having a hard time explaining myself. That's why I had the hats because you could wear a hat, share a hat, or give a hat away. It was a pretty cool idea of how to delegate. So I like to deconstruct things. And so it really puzzled me. How, what is this thing about creativity? And I feel like I'm as nerdy as an engineer because I have engineering friends. And they're creative too. And how come people don't think that? And so anyway, so um, as I was getting a master's degree in leadership, which I went to get because I wanted to figure this stuff out, honestly, um, I was started research in the creative process. And it ended up in a book, but also just self-discovery about, you know, what is this thing called creativity and how does it fit into life and work and uh, all aspects of life? I was surprised to find out. It's funny that you that you said you feel like your engineer friends because that's the first thing I thought of when you said that you like to start breaking things down and the hats. I'm like, this guy's like an engineer at heart, but an engineer. So what I was saying was, it, the first thing I thought of was this guy's an engineer. He's an engineer disguised as a disguised as a creative or a creative disguised as an engineer. I don't know one <laughs> or the other. Well, that's where I have a robot and a wizard in the book uh, to basically identify the fact that there's two ways we start creativity. Um, some of us are the robot. We're like the scientist or the engineer. We have to have a process set first because it's very technical. It's not something that just happens. Like music is technical. I have to know what tempo and key and who the audience is and all these different details before I even like get started. Um, and others of us are like the wizard where we just have an inspiration and we just are able to run with it. Like, hey, let's plan a party for our friends tonight. And something comes up and we're just like, and it's in the moment. Um, and what I discovered by studying this creative process is that both the brains will, the brain will work the same way down the road as you walk the journey, but you start in two different ways. And you describe something that I always seen about myself. I am, I feel like I'm an, an artist on the outside, creative person, but an engineer on the inside. And so I feel like I've had to like keep these two groups of people, um, you know, the bridge, I guess that's what, maybe I'm the bridge and bridging science and magic. Um, but you've got it right there. And engineering is very creative though. 
I played hockey growing up, so I always just thought my creativity went to like, you know, all the head hits and stuff like that. I just assumed that, you know, maybe if I was creative at one point, it just that part of my brain is the part that took the damage. But then like my daughter is the wizard, like you said, between the wizard and the uh, and, and the robot, like she doesn't care about any of the technical stuff about music, but she will get on any instrument and pick it up in a day. But I think that for some people, like that's almost awful because they never have to build the technical prowess to then become the practiced musician, right? Or the practiced artist or whatever. Yeah, that's that's what we call um, uh, the preparation phase. Is there's a point depending on how complex or whatever you're doing, you prepare. It's kind of like building the skyscraper. You got to get all the groundwork underneath. It takes a year or two before that's even done, before you start scaling it up. And musician, it's, it's I went to music school. Um, I had to learn lots of fundamental things before I even went there um, to even get in the music school. But you start someplace, uh, you know, with that. Whether you're doing something very technical or not, there's still a creative aspect in that. Um, and when you realize creativity is an iteration, in other words, it's not something completely like, you know, from outer space, well, maybe it could be, but, um, you know, it's an iteration. It's like a step, but it's an amazing step in another direction. So your daughter's taking steps and maybe she'll stick with one of it and, and, you know, um, be performing in front of thousands of people. It was, it was tough at, you know, 18 to get her to perform in front of three people in the, in the living room <laughs> with her, with her violin. But I digress. <laughs> the, 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 the fact that there's, you know, a hundred or a thousand like professional musicians who everybody knows of at a time, but then there's probably a hundred thousand people that were doing stuff like what you did and just the musicians that are playing the background tracks and song and stuff like that. Like that amazes me because from the outside, not being in any sort of musical industry, I would never think about the guy that has to write down <laughs> the music, right? But there's got to be tons of jobs like that. Well, that that's a job that's that's kind of AI took that over in like the 90s, uh, unfortunately. But it is you still have to um, orchestras now. It's on iPads and they and they scroll, but you still have to have a person that is a music librarian um, or knows enough, or someone has to have that as another additional additional hours on their job description like any job um, that you get hired for but yeah there are things like that um, like the producer um, there they they was one to capture something on a microphone and then but that person then has to you know mix it and then mastering even after the guys mixed it uh, you might have three different people a person record it person mix it and then a person mastering mastering is where they take the music that's done and mixed nicely on very fancy speakers and they put them on these uh, POS speakers uh, um, that we all listen to because we can't afford our AirPods, and that's how. And then that guy gets to make sure it sounds good after the million dollars have been spent on recording this album, so that we can uh, kind of enjoy it on an, on on AirPods. Um, but yes, there's people behind the scenes that are taking a lot of technical. So you could be the creative person that's the marionettes. You know, you have all these people doing the technical part. Uh, if you're very lucky to, to be that person, that's pretty cool. Cause you, you're thinking at a higher level. Um, but 
there's creativity that happens at all levels, I think. So where did the idea come to dig into this creative process and where do you, where do you even start? Because that's not something where we can just go, Oh, you're right. Like if we want to dig into the cardiac system in the body, like we all kind of have a little bit of an idea of that, but where do you start with this? I start with it by explaining creativity uh, this way, that it's really just another word. It's just a word to describe what people do um, when they thrive. Um, so it's it's kind of more of a generic word than I think we uh, give it credence for. Um, being creative is being human, in other words. It's being what you naturally do when we are at our best. When we're at our worst as people, we break things. And sometimes you got to break things, you know, but um, breaking things, breaking relationships, breaking, um, you know, we're not able to have conversations or we have literal war. War is anti-creativity because it basically takes what people do and it breaks it literally, but also kills the people that make things. And so it's kind of a bad thing. So creativity is the best part of humanity that actually makes things and adds things to the world that are value. Um, and in any field that you are, it's about, you know, building something, building a family, building your friendships. And so you got to start with thinking that creativity is really something I'm going to see as I, as a person, I'm a better version of myself or the best true version of myself. So that's a good place to start. And once you, once you think of it that way, then what's dehumanizing is anti-creativity. That's another way. What is not creative? And you look at things, you know, where it's about only about power and zero sum, where you have to win or lose. Well, that's one thing that's good for a game or a business. You know, you have competition and that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about human beings because, you know, when we start looking at other human beings that way, that's not creative. Uh, um, so I always say it's easier to complain. It's easier to criticize um, than it is to create. And so that's why it's so hard, but, but it is the most human thing we do if we're thriving. So that's, I start with there. And then, and then really there's only, um, three bullet points, I guess I give to creativity just to kind of think as a process. One, you discover an idea. What is it? What's the problem? Whatever it is that I have to find out. And then you develop that. You kind of work it out, see if it works or not. It's kind of research and development, whatever. You see the Wright brothers, see if this is going to fly or not, this plane. Um, and then you deliver it out to the world. Now that we've tested it, um, we try to get it out to the world. And that looks like a one, two, three. But as people, we realize... We have to go backwards sometimes to fix things. We have to realize, hey, we delivered it out, but it's not quite ready yet. So we scramble and go backwards. And isn't that human? It feels like it's a failure, but maybe it's not a failure. Maybe that's what creativity is like. So that's what I feel the creative process is important to learn because when we make what we consider U-turns, sometimes what we're doing is actually progress. Um, and if we're, um, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know hockey, but you have certain plays you make and you are creative in them and then they don't work. And so what do you do? You go back and watch the film and say, okay, we're going to try this approach this time with this team or whatever. And it's very creative. It's very much problem solving. Um, so that's part of it. But there's one more aspect of it that I think is interesting because a lot of people are innovative. I think like Zuckerberg, you know, who could be a villain too in some James Bond movie really. Right. Yeah. But um, he said, move fast and break things. But I don't think that's creative because he thinks innovation is just progress is moving forward no matter what the cost. Um, you have to ask two questions. The first question is what the problem to solve? What's the problem to solve? And that's what Zuckerberg asked. That's what the, near me is Silicon Valley. That's what these guys ask all the time. 
But what they don't ask, what the artist asks is, what's the human pain to address? The humanity to address the pain. Um, and so that's why a bad breakup song, we're all going, oh man, I don't want to listen to, I'm lucky I'm alone listening to the song, bringing back a memory of something. We need that. It serves us in a way because it addresses something that's real about us, even if it's a made up story. Um, but when we're only looking at innovation and not um, pro, uh, uh, art, then what those two bridges, the science, the innovation, and the magic, the art, if we're only looking at either of those, it's the artist who has no audience because <laughs> he's not he's not seeing who's listening, or it's the innovator who's just breaking things and moving forward and not caring about what the consequences are to people. If you could do both, then you're going to really find something, um, the genius of how people do our best when we do our best. So it's both taking those two things. And so I think that's creative processes then is saying, I'm starting this out. I'm asking, you know, not only this needs to be fixed, this problem here, but also what's going to rally us? What's going to keep me going? Um, What's human about this? And that might change either of these sides. And having that tension um, of something that has to work, but also something that, you know, has to mean something to me, uh, I think is where real creativity is. And that's where the creative process, if we practice it and learn what it is, I think we have more freedom to look at what we think is failure as uh, just being people. Do you think that the current level of distraction and consumption is detrimental to creativity? Oh, without a doubt. Now, I'm a person who has ADHD. So a distraction is just, it's going to happen without that. And I had like the first Game Boy. So my wife, we bought it at Target, stood in line at Target to get, it was amazing. She let me buy it. So it was very cool way back in the day, but it, you know, it was a cool thing, like a switch today, kids listening, you know, um, and distractions. Sometimes I don't think distractions and are bad. I think they're human. We reading could be a distraction, fun, reading fun stuff, uh, like it used to be comics, right? Um, there was baseball cards or for me, it was Star Wars cards. I was so nerdy as a kid. <laughs> I had baseball cards and Star Wars cards and eventually more Star Wars cards because I became more nerdy. But there's things that distract us. So I don't know if it's the distraction itself that's the problem. What it is is when we um, don't have self-control and we don't see ourselves, um, we don't listen to that part of us that's um, that part of us that's in pain, and that part of us that's dissatisfied with ourselves and be honest about it. And instead of getting like really super negative about it, being saying, you know, I want to do better. I want the world to be better. I want something better for my kids. I want my family to be better. I want, and that dissatisfaction sometimes is uncomfortable, but if we're not bored, we're never going to listen to that kind of a voice. We're, and that's why I think we're distracting me. Cause it's like, I got to work now. Um, and if I listen, I realize I'm dissatisfied. That forces me, you know, to do that. I was got dissatisfied with my health. So I got a personal trainer a few years ago and that was incredible uh, because I didn't know how to work out right. But once I did, I'm thinking like, Hey, this old guy can actually squat and do some things. And I feel like I'm gaining some control, but it took steps. It took me listening um, to the negative voice. That's not telling me I'm terrible, but telling me I could be more. And I think there's a difference between that. And if we don't listen hard enough, we're not going to hear that voice. We're going to listen to the worst voice on our distraction that says you're not like, you know, as buffed as this guy is on Instagram or you're not as pretty as she is or whatever it is. And our, and our, it's going to stop us from feeling like we can do anything. And 
So yeah, that's a, that's a long answer to say absolutely yes. It just it it seems so hard when I watch. Right, I said I have a nineteen year old, and I get stuck. Right, I'm I'm thirty nine years old, and I'll get stuck where like I sit down and I open my phone up, and I keep my social media on a separate phone so that it's not like right always there. But I'll open up you know Instagram, and all of a sudden like fifteen minutes have passed. I'm like, wait, what just happened? Like where where did that time go? And then I see her, and it's that 15 minutes isn't 15 minutes. It's an hour, you know, and it seems so hard to even, there has to be some space in there, right? Where, where, where your brain is able to just work before you can start to create. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. And this is what they call the incubation. So you have preparation, they have incubation where it just kind of like, um, one of the authors, I quote in there, he, he called like cows chewing cud. And he gave a story about, it's like the manager standing over the fence saying, I'm going to fire you guys. In fact, I'm going to butcher you and we're going to eat you if you don't go in back in the barn and make milk. You're just chewing all the time out here on the grass. And, the, you know, and I grew up near a dairy farm. And um, so I, literally like four houses down, there was a dairy farm. Um, and so I knew what that was for. It, that's how they make it. I didn't understand all the, the, you know, all the stomachs and the way that the chewing the cud works, but those, so if you look that up, that's how creativity requires what doesn't look like work sometimes. Um, sometimes it's, it's just going to it's happen. And that's the kind of activities that we miss out on. That's the gardening, which I hate gardening, by the way, or cooking, or barbecuing, um, you know, uh, sitting with friends with a cigar, whatever it is. Just have that moment where you're, you're engaged. You're not too distracted, but you're present. You're present living in your own skin in a way. Uh, like the cows enjoying, like, you know, even though those flies around to say, I'm enjoying this thing the fifth time I'm throwing it up. Um, and w- if we could only be so happy, uh, but I think that's what it is. We haven't learned to be um, comfortable in our own skin and say, this is life. I'm breathing in and breathing out. And, you know, we only have so many trips around this sun and we have to start thinking about, okay, and this next trip I'm taking around the sun, um, Am I going to be present for it? Am I going to enjoy the good, bad, and ugly? Am I going to be better person at the end of this? Am I going to let distract myself out of it? Because you know, a year could go by, ten years could go by, um, and we'll be in a place that's not very far ahead. So yeah, it's and that's part of what creativity I think does is it gets you to stay in places where you can be present, and then that gives you opportunities. Boredom, the dissatisfaction gives you the motivation because I want to be better. But then in order to kind of come, what do I need to do? So I'm sitting with friends and we're talking and, you know, having coffee, whatever it is. And I, and I discover, hey, have you guys ever thought of this? And they kind of say, that's a crazy idea. Why don't you do it, Rich? Why don't you write a book? Um, and then you go do something crazy. Uh, you move your family somewhere and you make a mistake, but you learn something from it because you're moving forward, but you were present for what it was. So yeah, being present is kind of the antithesis, but it's not being present in a way where I'm completely working every moment. It means that I'm being human at the moment. I can just sit down and laugh at my little puppy I just got because he's funny. His name is Sherlock. Sherlock. What kind of dog is Sherlock? Sherlock is a mix of, uh, he's Siberian Husky and Golden Doodle. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Cyber Doodle? I don't even know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So, so preparation comes before incubation, but you have to have a direction 
to understand what preparation is, right? Like you, you would have to have a direction in which you were trying to create to then prepare. Um, yes and no. So yes, you can say, I want to, I'm writing a song, so I'm actively going looking for that. Um, there's this idea of invention versus intention. So invention is, is like discovering what's around you and saying, okay, um, like going diving for a shipwreck and saying, oh, look what I can use in here and sell or keep. It's cool. Um, intention saying, I need to find only these four items and you miss everything else valuable around you. Um, that's what happens to us sometimes. So really, it's about invention. It's about seeing what you have around you, in you. Um, and then that being the inspiration. So when you are in the preparation phase, basically, you're just, you're filling the tank, you're investigating, you're learning an instrument, you're meeting people you never met before, you're doing awkward things that are against your, your grain, because that's really part of this, how the creative brain works, it has to kind of go between these two science and magic kind of mindsets. Um, and that's kind of how you find it. So then that could look like you know, taking lessons. It could look like, you know, what the farm leagues do. So you, you figure out in the farm league, well, I, I got pretty far on this, but I don't hit that great. But boy, I loved it for a while. Wow, this guy is really great. So we're going to move him up. Um, that's kind of how preparation works for us. We discover um, by what we have. So if you have the skills, they're going to come out. Because um, there are both um, things that are latent that are, that are in us that have yet to be brought out. And there are things that are just there um, that we don't need to develop. But if I have like the genes to become a, a really great pianist and never take a piano lesson, I can't do it. And it's kind of like, you know, a professional athlete could, you know, be like one of those cyclists that has a giant heart and he's built perfect to just cycle and win, uh, the, uh, win the race. But yet if he sits on the couch, like everybody else, we'll never know. Uh, and so that is an active part of it. It's going and trying to just do with what you have. Well, this person, is he ever, if he gets on a bike and he starts, you know, going longer than his friends can for some reason, they're going to find out, okay, that's why, you know, catcher was not for me because that <laughs> when I got put in that position, ah, okay, we're going to ruin. Um, but they put me in right field. They said, oh, gosh, that's perfect for Rich um, or Richie back in the day. Um so anyway, so that's part of this is, is discovering your thing as a person and intentionally going out looking, well, let me try this. Um, let me do something that's different. Um, and failing and saying, you, failure could either be, I'm stubborn enough to want to get better at it, or no, this isn't for me. Um, and that's kind of how you, you move forward in creativity is you're, you, you discover the things and then you want to put in the effort to work on and change. And for music, it kind of bit me. And I had all my friends say, Richard, come here. we're riding our bikes. We're doing this in the court. We're playing hide and seek. And I was, and I was like, no, I can't stop. I'm playing piano all the time. I don't know what happened. You know, it kind of, it, it chose me. But if I didn't ever start playing piano and discover it, my parents didn't buy a piano. Um, and they were nice enough to do that. We didn't have much. So they, that was a big deal for them. I, I would have been, I couldn't have fed my kids the way I did the last, you know, 20 something years of their lives. That's interesting to think about. Um, in, I, I, in the book, I think it's called, I think it's called becoming Superman. They delve into the actual physical aspects and combined with the mental aspects of becoming a super athlete. 
you know, they Michael Phelps and, and, and all these people that are just the absolute top of, of their performance. And someone like Michael, Michael Phelps has the mental aspects to just dig in and work for hours and hours and hours, but he's also genetically built for swimming. If he would have, you know, been on the basketball court or on the hockey rink, like he would have been good, but he wouldn't have been that good. He wouldn't have been that dominant. And a country like Australia actually puts their kids through a physical aptitude test and then takes their 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 bone densities and their weights and their heights and their you know from elbow to wrist and whatever else they do for measurements and they actually give you a percentage score of what sport you should be playing and i think they have 10 times as many olympic gold medals per capita <laughs> than a country like the united states because at 10 or 12 years old these kids are like oh you should be a swimmer well i've never even been in the water well you're built to be a swimmer but to take that idea and think about that in all of life. Like how, how do we get, I guess, how do we get better at just inventing because we can't just always be intentional? Well, yeah. And of course, Olympics realize those are people, uh, they are kind of superhuman. Like you said, the, the, the intersection, the Venn diagram, this looks like a Venn diagram. Um, <laughs> they, you know, you have, like you said, the physical, they have the aptitude physically and then they had the aptitude mentally, but they also had the, um, you know, uh, the skills that they learned. Um, so I could, like you said, learn, I could learn the skills, but no, I'm not going to swim. Of course, my body, long distance running doesn't work for me. I'm the sprinter because my legs, I had to find somebody in 5'11". My running partners had to be like 5'8". Just so we could, we're great. We have the same stride, right? Um, and that's just the way it is. Um, and I think that's what's human about creativity is that it doesn't have to look one way. Um, it doesn't have to look one way. And discovering that, that, back to your question, is really the the development, the, the play process of uh, going into the sandbox and trying to build something and seeing it fall. And then discovering, well, let's try building it this way um, and dreaming it this way. So oftentimes then that also includes the people around us. You know, whether it's uh, the government measuring our elbow to a wrist um, <laughs> or it's, it's having enough good relationships that tell us, you know, you know, Rich, you, you're pretty good at writing. You should probably do more of that. I said, really? I don't. I'd rather do this. Um, and then luckily I had a few people say kept up with it because I've been blogging since I forgot to mention this since 2005. Oh, Lord. And they called them weblogs back then before blog just kind of got hived off. And so I have all my social media is RK, Rich Kirkpatrick, RK weblog. Most of it is um, because blog was just, you know, short for weblog. Um, and now we blog on everything anyway. So, but I would not have known and others encouraged me, Rich, you know, keep, keep writing. I, I like to read what you really, I didn't know that. I didn't know that it came across that way. And so that's really part of that's really important um, to have healthy relationships. And as those of you who are parents, you know, try to help your kids find aptitudes, give them, encourage them to do something awkward and new by yourself doing awkward and new. You could discover later on in life, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there. I got like all this, this silver hair um, and, and earning the silver hair. Um, 
you know, I realized, hey, there's some things I didn't, I wish I would have done earlier, but I was afraid. Um, don't be afraid to fail. What Failing can just mean that you, like if it pisses you off when you fail and you're going to try it 10, 15 times, it might actually be the thing you're supposed to do. Um, that's just one example. Um, if it, you don't care about it after doing it once, then move on. But moving on is hard. We don't like change, man. No, 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 no. We, we, we don't like change and we're so scared of change because we would rather sit in the, the, the stew that we've created than possibly create something 10 times more epic and, and storybook worthy, but also the risk of losing what we know, right? We, we have this little box of what we know and we're like, I'm just going to stay right here. Not going to look around. Um, in the book, you break creativity down into the, into the, is it three steps? Yeah, you can call them steps. Yep. What, and the first is the dream, right? The dream. The dream is discovery of ideas, the dream. And so basically this is a, that process of the, the preparation, incubation, and then the illumination, the light bulb goes off. Like, this is it. This is the idea that's captured me that I'm going to be willing to fail forward on, uh, as we've been talking about. And that's, that's the, an entire step itself with steps uh, of discovery of what is my idea? And so the dream, there's parts of the brain that work. Um, and really important to actually mention, uh, there's divergent thinking and convergent thinking. There's these two um, ways of thought. And the divergent thinkers, kind of like myself, where we just, our minds can't help it. We start with one thing, this way of thinking, and it goes to like all over the place. But you start with a point and you go out. Um, the other way of thinking, convergent thinking, is where you sort someone who says, oh my gosh, all those ideas, I need to kind of sort them into a list. The truth is both of those are creative ways of thinking. It's bridging them to, um, back and forth that makes a person a creative genius. So the first step, that involves a lot of that open-mindedness of divergent thinking. It's not just a right brain, it's a network, um, default mode network, just going at it and you being awakened at night or in the shower, whatever it is that you do, that this comes to these ideas come to you, or you're taking the lessons that lead up to the idea, whatever it is, um, that's that's one step uh, of the process, um, the dream. And then you go to the second step, which is the sandbox. And the sandbox, like if you're a tech person listening, that sounds familiar to you, is where you try software out and see if it works or not. Uh, if you're a kid like me who had a real sandbox, you try to keep the cats out and you know, I won't tell you what I did with the cats, but I was really kind to animals, by the way, everyone, just so you know. Um, but I didn't want them in my sandbox. But anyway, so the sandbox had, you know, here's parents like them because this is where you're going to stay and play. Um, just like playgrounds have fences and parks have boundaries. It's, it's the river or whatever it is. And it helps us know this is where you can play. Um, I don't have to have the whole planet that is overwhelming me. I have a, a, a piece that I can work on and stay within and make mistakes there uh, where it has some level of safety, it's still risk to it, but there's some level of safety. So that's research and development. That's where the idea gets developed. And so what, and that's kind of where I start moving from thinking new ideas, uh, ideation to sorting them and sanding them down and trying them out and putting, mashing them together. And, and then that development, um, that's where the convergent think the listing of the ideas. I start to go back and forth a lot in that. 
And that leads us to the third step, which I call the, the story, which is basically where you take the idea of a short story, which, you know, who's the villain? Where does it take place? Who's the hero? Um, what's the conflict to solve, resolve in, in, in there? And you take your idea your, uh, and create it out into the world based upon who the people are, including yourself, because you're in the story. Um, and so you have a step one, two, and three, the dream, the sandbox, and the story. But the idea is you might have to go back. And it's a triangle, so you can go back to any point that's next to it. So I, I'm at the point of the story, but I might need to go back and develop the idea more. It's not quite ready for public yet. Or I need to go and uh, rethink the idea completely. Um, it, this worked, but it's not who I am. I'm not going to be able to sustain this. It just isn't me. Or my company, you know, this, this is not a product that fits our branding. Uh, so I'm going to go back and just start something new. So all of that is part of what creativity is. It's iterative changes back and forth from convergent thinking, divergent thinking. Um, and it's done with teams. You could have three different teams doing these kinds of things. Generally, you have like a research and development department, you know. Um, you you have uh, um, basically the the dream becomes the, where you problem solving. You ask what's the problem to solve. That's kind of where you get the client. Okay. They help you with that. And then the delivery is kind of also out to the world, the client, and then to their audience. So those are kind of how that could work in a business. But individually, this could take, say I'm just making dinner. Or it could be, you know, a year or two or three or five year project. Um, somehow, based upon I just all the research I did is trying to figure out um, all the steps that are in it. And based upon that, how could I describe it in a way that, that I could understand? Um, and that's kind of how I, I don't know, simplified it, but for me, I need to handle some things just to get through them. Yeah. And I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say simplified. I would say, um, distilled, right. Distilled it down to the important points because there's so much noise. Like whiskey. Exactly. Or espresso. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like both. Um, with the convergent and the divergent thinking, is that something that people are generally stronger at one or the other, or we both do it all depending on different ways or how does that work? But generally 20% are divergent thinkers in the population, um, who are adults and 80% are convergent thinkers. So, um, in, I think if kids are probably opposite, because they're not told it's wrong to just have crazy ideas. But you get to a certain age at seven and start make kids make fun of you or the teacher says, you're coloring outside the lines. You're not supposed to use purple for the sky, you know, whatever. And you start thinking, no, I have to kind of fit everything into one. There's only one answer to everything. Um, sometimes it's true. There is only one answer to everything. So what we learn, though, um, and this is the thing, is we need to learn the opposite side to whatever we are. So I say I'm a, a divergent thinker and I have ideas coming all the time. I then have to learn how am I going to sort them if I'm going to just be sane, uh, right? I'm often a person who likes to sort ideas. Well, I got to have to open mind sometimes. There's some people who just don't give me any new things. I got to just act on this one thing I know I have to do right now. Both people and their inclinations aren't wrong. It's just that to go to the other side, which I call embracing the awkward, is where you find your creativity. So for the wizard... He has to embrace the robot side of, of okay, I got to pay for this somehow. Um, I'm going to make a, a, me a musician. I'm going to make a, a, 
a CD. Well, we don't make CDs really anymore, but a streaming service on Spotify. I'm going to have a new uh, compilation of songs. Well, how am I going to pay for recording it? How am I going to schedule the friends that I know that I want to hire to be in that? You know, you have to uh, employ convergent thinking and spreadsheets. And then if I'm the spreadsheet person, I'm going to have to find out, well, what am I making? I might be great at spreadsheets. I could do a budget. I can get people there. I can implement because we teach implementation so much. Um, but what is the uh, thing I need to be dreaming about with all this I have? Um, it doesn't become gold unless I embrace the awkwardness of having an open mind about maybe pivoting to something different than I'm doing now so I can maximize it. And so that's kind of where these two different ways of thinking are really centered. Uh, convergent thinking is the uh, central executive network, they call that. And then divergent thinking is the default mode network. And there's a salient network, which is the bridge. You cannot do these two at the same time, Paul. That's the thing. That's that people think I can just do these. No, you can't. In fact, one example is if anyone's ever gone to a brainstorm meeting at work and everyone rolls their eyes, right? When they say we're going to have a brainstorming meeting, because what happens? You get there and as it's being written on the board, people are already criticizing it, even if it's, you know, whatever, muttering in the background or the guy who's, who's penning it on the whiteboard is already leaving some things out or interpreting. They're trying to do both. And it's like putting the gas and the brake on at the same time. So it's so important to discover, first of all, like you said, are you a robot or wizard? Uh, am I the robot who's a convergent thinker more than the wizard who's that? Then I have to kind of become more like the other side or at least get a partner who's the other side or trust the team when they're doing the other side. And that's where it becomes important because um, this is where we need creativity is really collective. It's really uh, we're tribal. Humans are tribal. Ask any anthropologist, any, you know, uh, as you study humanity, we just need groups, you know. Well, you had a hockey team. That's a tribe. Come on. Everybody wanted to wear the colors, right? That's, it's like, what's wrong with you if you're not? You know, if your friends come wearing the wrong jersey, you kind of feel disappointed, you know. It's like that, that tribalism, um, that part of humanity of being together is knowing we have different people in the tribe that help us. You know, we have the, uh, we have the hunters and we have the gatherers and we have, you know, the... Um, then we have the guy who cooks the food. We're like thankful for him, uh, but we're all in a tribe. So creativity, once we figure out which one we are, robot or wizard in our little weird tribe, um, we're able to do great things, I think. Uh, that Martin is going to love it when he listens to this because I, I say tribe at least once every single podcast, and it's like almost like he's got a dinger in the background, like, oh, Paul said tribe again. <laughs> so you said it before me this episode. <laughs> so I get to like, I get to, I get to, go to the background for this one. Um, it, it It's interesting that you brought up the brainstorming session, because I think that I have up until this moment always been one of those that's guilty of, all right, let's brainstorm some ideas. And I start regulating those ideas before they ever all come out. And which means I am putting the brakes on while I have my foot on the gas versus I'm going to try to improve keeping my foot on the gas, writing all the stupid ideas out, no matter how stupid they are, and then start to sort through, well, this is ridiculous. This might not be ridiculous. Part of this might work over here, but I have 1000% been guilty of doing that um, throughout my life. So I thank you that right there, that tidbit <laughs> was like, and, and that makes sense. But it's not a wrong way of being. Here's the thing. It's just a timing. It's it's just when it happens. Yeah. 
um, that that it's important. And that's the other thing about this. Don't, you know, don't get mad at the people who are critical. We need them. You want the engineer to make sure the bridge is sound, that the roof stays up on the house. And so that kind of thinking is so important. Um, and here's one of the interesting things. I share the story in the book. There's, there's a guy who's like a Fortune 100 executive who raised his hand in a meeting I was in sharing this material, actually. And he said, Rich, I thought that artists want no boundaries. And I said, you got to be crazy. It's like saying, you know, I call it the blank canvas panic attack. Like, I just have this blank canvas, and I don't even know what size it is. In fact, I don't even know if it's a canvas you want me to paint. You're saying, Rich, make something for me. Uh, well, what's the budget? Well, when does it do? So, you know, um, so limitations and, and boundaries and those kind, that way of thinking, convergent way of thinking is, is really part of creativity. Uh, just like someone picks up uh, what's a Picasso's, this little handlebar thing that turned into like horns, you know, for a, a bullhorn, you know, seat with, you know, <laughs> handlebars and a seat became this famous painting. Well, he looked at it and kind of like, I have a limitation. What can I make out of this? invent something from it and but all that to say is yeah uh it's not wrong to think either way it's just knowing that that's my superpower so i need to then dial that down to let this guy or this gal who's different get their place at the table too um and don't let them hog it otherwise get nothing done um it'll go all over the place but having those periods of time it could be two different meetings for some people just to get practical here could be we have an idea meeting all we're going to do is do ideas we're going to, I like, in fact, I would suggest that you do cigars. If it was at my house, we would sit around. We just have ideas, want to change the world, but then write them down and then come back again early in the morning with some good espresso or whatever and say, okay, we're going to now make a plan to see which of these is the best one to try next. Um, and that's a really simple, simplified way of saying, okay, we got the gas on. Now we're putting the brakes on. Um, and, not, and, and the people, you might have two different groups of people so that they fit in those settings. Um, and, and that's, but it's human for us to be these different ways. It's just, if you take the tribe element out, that the group collective element out, then it becomes, um, in our culture, we feel like someone's being hostile to us because I have to be different. Well, no, you don't have to be different. You have to be you. The system itself has to be more human. Uh, and companies oftentimes, they're not structured in a way that includes different ways of thinking. And so these two main ways of thinking that scientists say is the way creativity operates. There's a lot of brain networks, but these two brain networks are what they have identified um, through lots of research. If we're inhibiting those from working in balance, what we're, our bottom line is going to be um, in jeopardy. So that's kind of that's kind of how I look at it. It's just like finding a way to make it more human. Like I said, creativity is really about being human. Uh, when you thrive, it's not thriving like for you to think like you're not able to to think the way you think. That's not what it is. It's not what it's about. It's just saying, okay, this is how I think, but here's how it applies so that the tribe, the group of people around me, they can also be who they are. And together, if we're somehow able to thrive with that tension, because it's not going to feel comfortable. It's like that uncle that comes to Christmas. Um, it's not comfortable, but he's our uncle. So he's going to be there. Um and it's not comfortable to, you know, bring an infant on an airplane. But you know what? Families need to travel. So come on, get over it. You know, this is kind of like humanity. We're so much wanting one thing to exist that looks like us. 
But open your mind a little bit. Realize that you have a place at the table that's, that's not zero sum. If another person can think the way they think and you can think the way you think, it doesn't mean there's a, a, a competition. It actually means there's, it's, instead of just one plus one equals two, it's one plus one equals five. I think next time we do this, we're going to get together and it's going to be in person so we can smoke cigars together. <laughs> um, but I think that as we grow up and age, we become more scared of failure, especially when it comes to any sort of creativity, not just failure, but failure and judgment. How do we deal with that? I don't know. Uh, Cause I'm getting older. <laughs> well, you have less time. So you realize that, you know, I, I'm, you know, I only have so many, so much amount of time. Um, uh, but I think speaking of time, it's kind of like, I mentioned this Kairos time, the Greeks call the Kairos time and Kronos time. If I look at time as an older person in Kronos time, I can say, here's the rotations of the sun. Here's the math about how many days they have left. It's okay to be existential. We want our days to count. Um, but then the Kairos time is is in that moment, that magical moment of time, that freedom that I'm having, that I'm giving to social media. Um, but am I giving it to something that matters? And I loved, uh, there's a song, um, my wife and I, she was a big Amy Grant fan. Have you ever heard of her? She um, she came to our town because it was a, a city, at Walnut Creek or Concord here in California. It was a show she remembered many, many years ago when my wife was in high school and saw her. So she wanted to come back to this town which was cool because we wanted to see her. We got great tickets. Her, but she had this song called uh, Watering Trees You'll Never See. So I think we could expand the mistakes we make to look at like, we are watering something that goes going to go beyond our time frame. And that that actually is an incredible value that nobody else has that. So if we, if we look at the time that we're spending making whatever mistakes we're making as building something that matters to people me included, that's going to be water beyond my lifeline here on earth, this timeline I have on earth, then I'm not ending. Even if my name is not on everything, that tree I've watered, I've allowed to be there, how I've iteratively made mistakes to get it planted and, and healthy. And it's not going to give me shade, but it's going to help someone down the road have that shade or the fruit from it, whatever it is that it's going to give. And so Again, it's a tribal way of thinking. It's thinking about people. Um, it's greater than me, but I'm greater because it's greater than me, because people matter, and that means I matter. And so, yes, my time, I want it to make it count more um, now that I'm in my 50s, which is scary, um, but I'm not going to uh, give up. I'm not going to stop creating because it. I, I know that I might start things someone else is going to have to finish. And am I willing to take that risk? That's a higher risk because I won't get to see it completely fail. Maybe it will fail. But I think that's kind of the honor of, of as we enter, you know, the, the second half of life, which you're barely in, um, by the way, youngster, um, yeah. it really, it, it's, this is the honor that we have. It's a strength that we have, that we could be a little more cautious because we're going to say, hey, this matters because um, I matter too, not because I'm going to throw myself out. Uh, but um, as we age, you know, we're going to come across um, those limitations more of what we can do and can't do. 
and how much time we have young adult kids, which are, you know, I have young adult kids, you know, any time I have with them is awesome. Now, uh, it's, it's that treat because I'm not going to see what they're going to be uh, making at some point. And am right. I willing? And, and so if I look at life that way, then I know um, it matters. And that's why I think this idea of creativity, when we thrive, then we think this way a little bit more than just like critiquing, like, this is wrong about society. This is wrong about this person doing that. Well, I'm not saying that's wrong, that that thought is wrong. But then what am I, what am I watering? So if I'm going to make a mistake, I'm going to make a mistake that is going to be like Amy Grant's song, which is the tree that's watered that I'll never see. Well, I think, first of all, with that said, I think you should be pretty proud of how you spent your time because this book is is definitely something that is helping a lot of people understand the what creativity really is. And I think just the power of me not negatively looking at creativity in myself because I am not artistic, right? I'm very much more uh, systems business oriented, um, which after reading the book is completely creative. Um, so I think be proud of yourself for the time that how you spent that time. Um, but as far as watering trees, how do we encourage, right? I have a nine-year-old also, a 10-year-old also. Mm. Um, how do we encourage creativity and foster creativity? I don't think we need to foster it because I think that they're more creative than we'll ever be. But how do we just keep that? I think for, for one, the sandbox, here's a safe place you can make mistakes. So you can, you know, uh, you can mess up on this stuff. That's okay. Learn who you are. Um, and I think a lot of times in society today, um, kids are never taught. Well, how do I put this in a way? That's not so nice. My wife's a, an educator, right? And a lot of parents come to her and they say the kid never lies, never makes i mean come on every kid lies from like the minute they can even think <laughs> we yeah. lie. that's just the fact the fact of the matter is so it's not in the child failing like lying that's the problem it's in owning up to being alive as people so for a parent to say apologizing to my child for me messing up allows them to know that they can mess up and creativity is all about making these mistakes and so if they see me try something new say, you know, I tried this and I failed. Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. And we let them, the nine-year-olds see that and let them laugh at us because they laugh at dad jokes and laugh at dads anyway, just because they love to and they love us so much. Um, and they're amazed that this creature that they've built up that is huge and, and almost a de deification of a person, when we realize kids even at nine see their dad that way and their mom's that way. But if they could see that you're human and as well as them being human and that you're in that together to walk them through that. And they see you take correction and you take ownership. They're going to love that because then they're going to be free saying, you know, how did I really do dad? And, or to their teacher, how did I really do? Am I really good at this or not? What can I do to get better at this? So that, that curiosity is, is exploded in a child that's free to see that they have the, the, um, uh, ownership of their life. And it's not that they're just pat. We teach to pass tests today. Yeah. We, we, business is all about certain number spreadsheets for whatever it's, it's when really the human 
component in that is how do I make a life for myself and others that means something to me and them? And the child's part of that at nine years old. And so I would say, yeah, that, that creativity, you know, besides giving a bunch of crayons and books and my parents bought a piano and whatever it is you see their aptitudes are for, like you see their, you, you're measuring their wrist to their el- elbow and you're seeing, oh, you could be good at this. Um, I think that's, that's part of how we discover things too. And that's kind of what my, my parents did a little bit um, for me. It's, and that's great. That's invention, right? Put, what are you going to put in front of them that they can discover? Um, my wife, she always had lots of books and crayons and weird kind of toys. And she studies child development. So she was really into what it was that's going to help a very small child find their way. But I mean, at nine, they're, they can tell you. So, but yeah, I, I think again, failure is your friend if it's done safely and it's about making something not just passing a test. So at 50, what are you doing to make sure that you're still developing your creativity? Well, for one, I never thought I could write a book like this. Um, I got a degree through the pandemic because I was trying to figure out what to do. I quit my job. Um, I had a secure job as a musician at this this church. It paid me good money. I just had to show up and play piano and sing and do this stuff, and that was great. Um, gave that up to say I got to do something more. and. So now I'm kind of on the scary precipice of a cliff finger. What, what is this life look like? Um, how do I uh, scale um, helping people, um, you know, maximize their creativity? And so, you know, like even this next week, I'll be talking to some HR people because I'm really concerned about how I can encourage how people work together. So, so what I'm trying to do is put myself out in a whole different way than what I have saw myself as, which was just this artist. So now I'm, I need to see myself now as, as I guess I would say kind of a consultant coach kind of person who is there. And so this is new. It's like a new skin and some people say great. And most people don't know I exist yet, but that's okay. Um, that's the, that's the scariness of it. Uh, I used to think that you got beyond 50 and things got simpler and I have two older brothers and looking at their lives and talking to them, it gets, it's not, there's no comfort level you're going to get to. So uh, the second half of life is all about reinvention. And so I am just the short answer, Paul, is just I'm I'm in the middle of it and I hope it works out. Um, and I'm hoping that I also enjoy the the ride as well. I think that I think that right, the necessity is the mother of invention, right? And I think that there is such a need for what you're doing in a business setting because there are so many benefits to being single-minded and only looking at the spreadsheet angle and not looking at the humanist angle. But when you start to look at the humanist angle, you build sustainable growth versus just the growth that is going to get the stock options to go higher for this last quarter. Right. And as we build, you know, as some people like you and consultants like you come in and talk and say, hey, if we start to creatively look at problems and we start to look down the down the line and how do we build a how do we build a workplace of creativity and acceptance and openness and 
Yes, there are going to be people that come up with awful ideas, but guess what? There's going to be 20 awful ideas and then one amazing idea. And if we're always telling everybody about how awful the awful ideas are, then we are never going to find that amazing idea. So we need to treat them all the same. And just all this humanist angle in business, I think that 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 right there, you're like, you're like at the tip of an iceberg there and the iceberg is so massive of what's needed there. So I think that that's a, that's an amazing angle that, that you're taking. And I think that you have a lot of, a lot of room to, to, to grow in that. Well, that's what I'm looking forward to. This is that, uh, it could be the tree I'll never see, but I hope I can at least see it stick up a little bit out of the ground. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, I think that I got everything out that I wanted to get out. I think that the, the conversion and the divergent thinking was, was, really almost an aha moment for me. Um, I think that, you know, with our listeners, a lot of them are service law enforcement, retired military. And I think that just listening to this and understanding, Hey, what you guys are doing to solve problems, that is creativity. And a lot of this stuff isn't necessarily what we think of as creativity, but you you are being creative. And once you embrace that and you're like, Oh, I could develop this a hundred times over. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. whether, whether it be, whether it be in that sandbox, working through different ways to problem solve in whatever your, um, mode of work is. So I thank you a ton, uh, tell everybody where they can find you and tell them about the book. Okay. You can find me at rkblog.com. And the book is called Mind Blown, Unlock Your Creative Genius by Bridging Science and Magic. And at the moment, you, I think there's a special on Amazon. That if you have Amazon Prime, you can get the Kindle for free. But it's also available on audiobook and paperback, too. There's so many free. I don't have a Kindle. But I, every time I'm looking up, oh, I want to read this book. There's a free Kindle. Oh, there's a free Kindle. I'm like, I, maybe I need to buy a Kindle just for the money that I spend in books. You can read on your you can read on your smartphone. You can read on your Android or your iOS device or your computer. Kindle app is free. Those of you who already spend money on Amazon, no, uh, no plug for Amazon. But I, I think I get a little bit of royalties for you just getting it free. Perfect. So. Awesome. So everybody, just go. <laughs> <laughs> Go buy it, and if you don't, if you if you're if you're not a Kindle reader, or if you're uh, if you're a Kindle reader, just download it. Um, thank you, Rich. Is good because people are busy, and you, uh, know, you can do it in bits. Uh, that's actually how I read books. Me too. Me too. And you get to listen to this guy's soothing voice for <laughs> five six hours. It's great. Thanks, Rich. Thank you, Paul. <laughs>